This is Empty Clouds. I'm Patrick McNamee King. In my early 20s, I loved the Tim and Eric awesome show, Great Job. And I still love the show. One of my favorite skits was a song, actually. And in the video, there's a balding middle-aged man singing about sitting on people while he sits on people. The man in that video is named Palmer Scott. And last July, when I was in Salt Lake City, he invited me to his apartment, where I sat down with him, and we talked. I'm uh, Palmer Scott. We are recording in my apartment in South Salt Lake City, Utah, overlooking a wonderful dump of a house. <laughs> it's home for now. Anyway, so most people know me from the Tim and Eric awesome show, Great Job. I'm the sit-on-you guy. I've always been an actor. I, I started acting when I was uh, 10 years old, uh, acting and performing in elementary school, you know, doing little magic shows with chemistry that were never very good, doing uh, cartoon impressions, that sort of thing. Like every actor, I had a need for attention and affirmation, so I think that's where a lot of us start. I was a target. I was short. I did not handle stress or teasing well. So I was a target. Also, I was sensitive. One time I was feeling really nice to one of my teachers and we had a beautiful chrysanthemum plant out back and I'd given it to my mother. So I wrapped up a bouquet, not huge, but a bouquet for the teacher. And I remember having about 30 kids all around me in a circle. And every time I would turn my back to someone, they'd hit me, you know, somebody in back. And I'm not, when I say 30, I think that's on the small side. I mean, yeah, I do have residual rage. And that was some fairly traumatic things. Not as bad as some. I mean, I was never, well, I was ganged up several times in the uh, the locker room. That all, <laughs> you know, that, that happened several times. But, uh, you know, again, again, the teachers, just ignore it. Just ignore it. There are a couple of teachers, uh, basically high school, that was, uh, they listened to me. And they actually encouraged me to, uh, to do things, to explore my creativity, to explore my love of language. Uh, one of the reasons I like doing Shakespeare is because it's the words. I can, I can feel the words. And in my belief with Shakespeare, every king should make you laugh and every clown should make you cry. A few years ago, I got to play Bottom in Midsummer Night's Dream. And he has a speech where he wakes up and he's like, oh, and I, every time I see an actor, it's like, oh, I had a dream and I, I thought I was a king and I thought I was out. And I, had, and I thought, no, this is a common man who dreamt that he was royalty, that he had been raised up. And he didn't have an ass's head in my mind. To me, that was a crown. That he was wearing. And methought I was, methought I had, uh, they're always like, methought I had, they're patting themselves down and stuff. It's like, methought I had a beautiful woman, a queen who loved me. So that's what Nick Bottom should do that. The theater is humanity in a microcosm, but then I've heard, you know, music is humanity in a microcosm. With those of us who are on the creative side, we want to create our universe and invite you in to share it, whether it is a painting or whether it's a comedy routine that I do, or a writer who's creating characters with belief systems and everything else. We're creating a world that we want to share with you. We want to provoke a response. Without an audience, it doesn't matter how brilliant you are. Without someone else to appreciate it, 
it's just mental masturbation. And let's face it, fucking's better with two people. If it's if if theater is done right, it makes you go away thinking about why are you feeling the way you're feeling? Not just, oh God, that was funny, I laughed, I cried, I was moved, and then you go into the bathroom and there's the movement. I mean, this is one where you really think, okay, yeah, maybe I should consider what I say. Is it so hard to refer to a transgender person by their preferred pronouns? Is that really such an imposition on me? That's what any of the arts are meant to do is to bring us into a better understanding of ourselves and the other parts of humanity. So that's, that's that. Yeah. We didn't even get into how my parents died with my father setting himself on fire. And all sorts of things. I was focused on packing up my equipment and somehow missed the piece about Palmer's father until I was driving away. I drove east for three hours and spent the next five days backpacking in the high Uintas wilderness Mountains, lakes, and forests surrounded me, but I could not shake the unresolved questions I had failed to ask. Not just about Palmer's parents. It was clear to me how personal his experience of theater was, and I kicked myself for not finding out more about how someone with such a vast inner life saw himself in relation to his art. Six days later, I was taking shelter from an unseasonable rain in the parking lot of an old auto body repair shop, eating lunch in my rental car. The Wasatch Range was spread out in front of me, the Great Salt Lake Basin on the other side, with Palmer Scott in it somewhere. Hello? Hey, Palmer, it's Patrick. How are you doing there? Oh, yes. Okay. Hi, Patrick. I still have a couple questions for you, and I was wondering if, if you could have, like, 20 minutes this afternoon, we could chat some more. Oh, I have a rehearsal tonight. Oh, okay. No worries. Um, is tomorrow morning any good for you? Tomorrow morning would be fine. Great. I'll text you when I'm on my way. How's that? That would be fine. Fantastic. All right. See you tomorrow. See you later. Take Bye. care. Okay. This let's see. Let's um, set up in a little corner here. Maybe we can avoid the echo a bit. All right. Nice yeah, big room. the echo is pretty bad. Uh, in the early 80s, my mother developed a very rare form of throat cancer. And uh, the doctor said, oh, she's an alcoholic. It's like, no. She used to work for the federal government, both my parents did. And she, at one point, was a lab assistant, cleaning things and everything. And they worked with a lot of chemicals that were not good. And uh, she was supposed to recover, but basically the cancer had metastasized and gone through her body. And I basically spent four months, 24-7, taking care of her. And I finally had to come home at one point. And she chose, and I really do think she did this, she chose to die a couple of days later. Because she waited till all the kids were gone. My mother was she had been raised on a farm, and so she grew plants. And she had a lot of very expensive, very nice uh, ornamentals and so forth. And Dad had just ripped them all out because he didn't want to have to take care of them. Also, I think they reminded him of my mother. And after my mother died, he went back to smoking. Well, he knew he'd been smoking on occasion, but he would always take it outside and away from her. Well, he went back with a vengeance. He was put on oxygen, 
he has COPD, so he's on oxygen. And I'm there, and one night I, I leave the door to the bedroom that I'm in open so I can hear things. I hear this small crash, and I hear him call me. And I look, and there's this odd light in his bedroom, my parents' old bedroom. And I thought, what the hell is that? I get up, and I go in, and he's on fire. He had lit a cigarette. The oxygen cap caught on fire, got into his clothes. So I picked him up, and I took him, picked up this man who, you know, just my father, took him into the bathroom, and I turned on the faucet to the shower to put it out. I broke the tap. So I grabbed the other tap, and I broke it as well. So I grabbed water from the uh, sink, and I'm dousing him. And while this is going on, his dog is yapping. There's a smoke alarm going, and the carpet in his bedroom is on fire. And he used to be a champion trap shooter. I mean, seriously, he was very good. And he had a whole bunch of reloading equipment and gunpowder that he had moved from the basement up into this one room. And all I was thinking is, I got I to gotta get him out, then I got to make sure that fire's out and that nothing gets near that gunpowder. And I'm choking a little bit on the smoke. And uh, anyway, uh, I look at my father and his skin is hanging from his arms. And uh, I called 911 and they got there. So they flew him into uh, the University of Utah hospital burn unit uh, helicopter. Uh, we all drove in. And they said, well, uh, he's being taken care of. Uh, We don't know how long this is going to be. He's in surgery and so forth. Just go home, and we'll call you if there's a change. So we went home and uh, sat down. And within 15 minutes of sitting down, they said, you've got to get here right away. Now, we're going from Tooele, 40 miles back into Salt Lake. We get there, and we were... 10 minutes too late, and he had gone, he was gone, and uh, they asked me if I wanted to see him, and I see this shrunken little body wrapped completely in bandages. I mean, seriously, swallowed almost like a mummy, only his face showed, and uh, I was numb. So as we're driving home, my sister, who's in the front seat, turns to me and says, what day is it? I said, it's November 19th, and she looked at me and said, it was their anniversary. And uh, so my father died on the day of their wedding anniversary. Yeah, sometimes you tap onto the, the darker parts of yourself to uh, reach those places. Um, I told you the audition with Tim and Eric that uh, I had to talk about the blood and the dripping and the self-sacrifice. And I, I tapped into that emotion for the monologue in the uh, in the play my father was trying to kill himself that was it not consciously but he was doing his damnedest to get out of the world you know i was angry uh creon is angry at the self-centeredness of antigone and her father oedipus and i think that's where i was angry with my dad because he tried to erase himself Do you see yourself as a, as a character, as a role, as an archetype? Sad-faced clown. Uh, that's kind of who I am. I don't know what there is about me, but people love to see me put in my place. 
my mother, she became New Age when it was still called the occult. And she got very much into astrology. And some astrologer told her that I could be the new Emmett Kelly. You ever see the clown with the, the scruff like I've got right now with this teary eyes and he's got the hobo outfit and everything? And he never said a word. He was always quiet. But you knew everything that he was thinking. And you would end up laughing so hard and feeling sorry for him at the same time. And he's, the, the astrologer told him, he's the new Emmett Kelly. He can do that. That's a, And my mother was like, no, no, no. She wanted me to be an electrical engineer. It's like, that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, I see myself as the sad face clown. When I watch the Sit On You video now, I laugh just about as hard as I did the first time I saw it. But now, I can't help but wonder how many other moments in my life Moments of laughter, hilarity, mirth, have all been shaped intimately by grief, loss, and hardship. Along with the thick summer humidity, these thoughts stuck with me the rest of the day, and a good while longer. <laughs> 